0: These are the tribulations of Paulette. 6 a.m. rolls around awfully fast when you called it a night at 4.30. I give Dolly, whom I already dropped off two hours earlier, a wake-up text. She tells me that she's already called her neighbor Tim, who's a public defender. He's going to meet us at court for Dolly's drunk driving hearing. Dress for success, Dolly says. We need to present a sober front. Speak for yourself, I say. Next, I walk in on Dave's morning locker room scene. He stands at the bathroom sink, naked in a cloud of steam. He's just finished his epic morning drain-the-water heater shower. His wet towel and a pair of dirty boxer shorts ensnare my feet. When I step, unfulfilled, out of a lukewarm shower, clumps of shaving cream flecked with black beard hair float in the gray water of the sink. It looks like a wooly willy ice cream soda. Dave taps his razor on the sink bowl, which reminds me of Ricky's tinka-tinka-tinka spoon sound in his coffee cup. It dawns on me that Dave is a chip off the old block. Do you have to make that tapping noise, I ask? In case you haven't noticed, I've been shaving like this for 15 years, he says. Could you go do something else for a few minutes? I relent, only because Dave has agreed to cover carpool. Forty minutes later, I pull into Dolly's driveway. She motions me to join her in Bunyan's lair above the garage. Although she's managed to pull herself together, she still reeks of booze. Together, we take stock of Bunyan's recently acquired chattels. Golf clubs, tennis gear, a fly fishing rod, a stair climber, kettlebells, and a pool table are stuffed into the tiny apartment. Crisp Thomas Pink shirts on padded hangers line the closet. The place looks like the pied Ter terre of Mark Cuban. You bought him all this stuff, I say? Well, he had no stuff. He needed some stuff. Dolly, this is quite a lot of stuff. A few 15-year-old blondes and you've got yourself a Ralph Lauren photo shoot. An out-of-focus photograph of an older woman sits in a silver frame by the bed. Well, who's she, I ask? Oh, that's his mother. She's dead. Bunyan had a mother, I say. Bin Laden had a mother, Paulette. I pick up the frame for a closer look. She's shy a few teeth, too. Must run in the family. I look at the bed. Dolly, I almost don't want to know this, but do you have sex with him in here? "Uh, I haven't told you, but after he moved in, we sort of stopped having sex, Dolly says. Well, that's par for the course. Uh, Why should you be any different from the rest of us? It bothers me a little. I mean... What am I doing with him, Dolly wonders. Fate works in mysterious ways. Maybe this accident was no accident, I say. I guess I felt bad for him, so I spoiled him, she says. Well, I've said it before. The nicer you are to someone, the worse they treat you. I still love him, though, Paulette. He's attentive, and he listens to me. Also, he's really helpful around the house, Dolly says, and I know what she means. One thing's for sure, I say, it's going to be hard for him to give all this up. Give it up? What are you talking about? He's writing a screenplay about me. Now help me. What can we bring him? I doubt there will be any round robins at the courthouse this morning, and the made-to-measure Xenia sports jacket will only create cellmate envy. Seriously, Dolly, I don't think you can bring him anything. Let's just go. We exit the bachelor pad through the garage. I'll drive, Dolly says in her usual take charge manner. Are you mad? Oh my God, that's right. I can't drive. I don't even have a car. Although there is this. Dolly's hand does a carol-merrill let's make a deal smooth and turn maneuver over a Prada green Vespa parked in the garage. You didn't. It was less expensive than getting him a car. Did he pick the color? Isn't it cool? So retro. Shows he has a feminine side. Ah, yeah. His fellow inmates will be digging that feminine side real soon, Dolly. The Newton Courthouse is adjacent to the police station. And when we arrive, I am very grateful that the reserved for chaplain spot I occupied in the middle of the previous night is still open. I park there again. As my mission has Christian overtones. We meet Attorney Tim on the steps of the courthouse. He gives Dolly sound legal advice. She's to say nothing and plead guilty. Sounds good to me. One hour and no current magazines later, we are summoned to the courtroom for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts versus Bunyan and Dolly. A side door opens. Dolly squeezes my arm and in shuffles Bunyan. He's rumpled and unshaven, but exceedingly well-dressed. Don't look at him, I say to Dolly, and she looks down. Dolly and Bunyan's attorneys approach the bench, and as they do, Bunyan, staring straight at Dolly, raises his handcuffed wrists and bangs them together to get her attention. Dolly looks up, and Bunyan gives her a pathetic, toothless grin. As the attorneys continue their private discourse with the judge, Dolly reaches into her handbag, pulls out Bunyan's dental bridge, and lobs it to him. In the space of about two seconds, Bunyan catches the teeth in the cup of his shackled hands and pops them into his mouth. The attorneys return to their respective places as the hearing begins. Your Honor... I would like to explain the events of the preceding evening, says Attorney Tim. My client attended a dinner party on Beacon Hill at the home of her ex-husband. She was accompanied there by Mr. Bunyan, an aspiring screenwriter. When they arrived at the party, a server handed them champagne flutes that had no bottoms, the object being that you couldn't put them down. No bottoms on the flutes, asks the judge. No bottoms, echoes Attorney Tim. I might add that Mr. Bunyan, it seems, had never attended a dinner party before. Well, let the record state that Mr. Bunyan had not attended any dinner parties up until this point. Objection, says the state's attorney, whom I place at about 18. The fact that my client had never attended a dinner party is not relevant. Hold on, says the judge. This isn't a trial. You can't object. Nervous and feeling out of place, Attorney Tim continues, Mr. Bunyan continued to drink to excess. Unaware of dinner party etiquette, he was upset that he couldn't sit next to my client at dinner. Then he started a fistfight with the man who was placed next to my client. My client's ex-husband, who, by the way, is a celebrity chef, requested that she and Mr. Bunyan leave the dinner party immediately. After searching for their car on Chestnut Street for 30 minutes, Mr. Bunyan took the wheel. In a high state of inebriation, he entered the Massachusetts Turnpike. When my client informed Mr. Bunyan that he had overshot their exit, Mr. Bunyan exited at the next exit on the turnpike. Headed in the wrong direction again, Mr. Bunyan hit a transformer utility pole in Newton Center when he attempted to make a U-turn at 40 miles an hour. Mr. Bunyan informed my client that he quote-unquote had warrants, and he requested that my client take the driver's seat before the police came. They attempted to leave the scene of the accident, but the automobile was too impaired to function. Who did Jason place you next to at dinner, I whisper. Some guy from Bain Capital, and he put his arm on the back of my chair. Bunyan leaned across the table and pummeled him. Isn't that great? He fought for my honor. The judge has heard enough. He asks Dolly and her attorney to approach the bench to render his decision. They return quickly. 120 days, Dolly says in my ear. No license. Oh my God, I say. Could be worse, she says, nodding in the direction of Bunyan, who's being led away, still in handcuffs. I have to find a way to help him. I drop Dolly off at her house. We are both absolutely exhausted. Back at home, I'm delighted to see Ricky and Trudy's luggage in the kitchen. They are in my den, drinking the last of the coffee. You're not leaving already, I say. Well, it's been three weeks, says Trudy. We've had such a good time. "'How did your friend make out?' asks Ricky. "'Oh, she lost her license, but nothing more "'because they can't prove that she was behind the wheel. "'Dave says she's going nowhere fast with that Bunyan fellow. "'Well, that may be the case. We'll just wait and see. "'Say, how are you two getting to the airport?' "'Well, I guess you're going to take us,' Ricky says. "'Well, let's be on our way then, shall we?' I say. "'Oh, our flight isn't for another six hours,' Ricky says.' We were going to stay for lunch. There's still good deli meat in the refrigerator. That turkey is over a week old, I say. You're not supposed to eat sliced deli meat after three days. You'll get listeria. Well, why haven't you thrown it away then? What are you saving it for? Ricky asks. He eats cold cuts that are two weeks old at home, Trudy says with a shudder. They're all slippery and everything. I tell him, don't do that. You'll get sick, but he hates to see anything go to waste. Then by all means, make yourself a slimy sandwich to take to the airport, I say. But we need to leave right now. Two hours later, I feel the enormous privilege of being able to walk around an empty house for the first time in weeks, stark naked. I reacquaint myself with the intruder. (laughs) I'm really grateful that he remembers me. A mimosa is called for as I do the dishes. My freedom, though enjoyable, is short-lived, As there is shopping, cooking, and laundry to do. Lots of it. Dripping wet from a combination of champagne, orgasm, and hot flash, I climb to the third floor guest room to assess the damage. My in laws have left their bed unmade and unstripped. Their trash can is full. Empty water glasses are everywhere. Gee, thanks. I open all the windows cold fresh air exercises the house guest smell I move on to the linen closet for new sheets and notice that there isn't a towel in there in the bathroom I learn why Ricky and Trudy have managed to use every bath towel hand towel and face cloth in the house as I bend down to collect the wet mildewy mass for the second time today my feet get caught up in a pair of underpants left on the bathroom floor as I kick them off my toe, I see to my horror that these belong to the lady I just brought to the airport. And they are dirty. As I run downstairs to find some tongs, I remind myself to apologize to my husband, Dave. All this time, I thought he was a chip off the old block. Yo-ho, the gang's all here. You're listening to Eric Fontana. Yo-ho, Named after the duke. The sidewalks itchy, get and bitchy, and it run right after you. I take my time and drink my wine when the trees they start to sway. Six hundred miles through the future, but I had to run away. Next, not so many helping hands. Till then, ta ta. Yeah.